0: Let's stand and open our Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. What we're talking about today is uh, how to know you're born again. How to know you're going to heaven. We talked about this a few weeks ago in March, and we talked about uh, you must be born again. So let's dive into this a little bit today and, and see what the Lord has for us. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Father, I just pray that today, if there are issues in our life, Lord, that we would see them. I pray we would consider our salvation seriously today. We would understand, Father, the working of your spirit in our life. And that we would leave here, Father, with great assurance of your work in our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Being sure of your salvation, being sure that when you stand before God, you're going to hear, well done, and enter into my kingdom, is not something we want to play with, we want to be certain of. And the only way to be certain of that is to look and see what Scripture says about it. And see what God teaches about us. When you ask that question, how do you know that you're going to heaven? This scripture, John 3, 16, seems to sum it up pretty good. Seems to lock it all down. We can just say, well, you just gotta believe in Jesus. We can go home now. But just, just believe in Jesus, Son of God, and, and we're set. You know that 90 times in the Gospel of John we are told to believe. 90 times. But what does that mean? Mean. This verse that we just read, being probably the most famous verse in the Bible, is also a a part of a very famous, if not the most famous, passage in the Bible. And in this passage, the discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus is recorded for us by John. And it says in John chapter 3, verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees. Named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus gets right down to the point. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, to be, and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. Jesus makes this statement very clear he writes it out for this isn't something man's made up. this is what Jesus said you must be born again what's he saying he's saying you've got to be born of the spirit the spirit of God has to come upon you and there has to be a spiritual change in your life this is a spiritual act of God outside of our ability we can't do it to ourselves we can't transform ourselves. We can't make ourselves into what it takes for this, to be, for this to happen in us. We need the Spirit of God. And you say, well, doesn't that happen when I simply say, uh, I believe. I believe he's the Son of God. Well, let's, let's listen to a passage in James that is a, a shudder-worthy passage. Listen to what it says in James chapter 2, verse 17. So you see there's this this thing that if we really believe there's some work type to it. You say, well, pastor, are you saying that we have to work our way into heaven? Absolutely not. You cannot work your way into heaven. But let's, let's let this simmer in our thinking for just a moment. Real faith has works. Real faith moves us to do things as a result of faith. Faith moves our life. Remember John 3, 16. You've got to believe that he's really the son of God. You've got to invite him into your life. Now let's go on and read a couple of verses after verse 17 in John John chapter 3 and see if we can get a real big picture of this. God did not let his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came so we can be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Now let's get serious here. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his work works have been carried out in God. Wow, that's what what is that judgment? It's this judgment about whether there's wickedness in my life. And and it, it's easy to look at a passage like this and say, well, pastor, that, that's just for people who deny Christ. Well, let's let's go to another passage that, again, is shudder-worthy. It's another famous passage. This comes out of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this in verse 18 of chapter 7. A healthy tree, he's comparing us to being a tree. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. How are we going to recognize the good tree and the bad tree? By their fruits. By what's happened in them. By what fruit they're producing. Then he goes on to this next verse that's really the the one that scares me and keeps me praying. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness a healthy tree cannot produce cannot bear bad fruit nor a diseased tree bear good fruit you'll recognize them by their fruit okay we can we can see this as uh, people who deny Christ until we get to verse 21. And in verse 21, these are people who are going to stand before God, and what have they done? They've prophesied in Jesus' name, they've cast out demons in Jesus' name, they've done mighty works in Jesus' name. These are all people who say they believe in Jesus. But Jesus will tell them, depart from me. Why? Because there's no fruit in their life and they are still workers of lawlessness. This is one of those things I've got to look deeply in my heart and ask myself, am I continuing in lawlessness? What is a worker of lawlessness? They have continued to break the moral law of God. The real believer has been born again. His faith will result in a change of action. Are you still working lawlessness? Do I need to describe that? Let me describe a couple of very public views of that. Very public views of that are people who claim to be Christians Claim to be Christians and yet they still celebrate infanticide in America today they're workers of lawlessness. This is the person who claims to be a Christian, says they 're doing mighty works in christian's name in christ 's name, but they still continue to support sexual immorality at every level. It's a worker of lawlessness. We can see that in very big public and we can see that in political things, but how does that play down into our life? It's when we excuse our own sin away, when we excuse our own lawlessness away, and we say it's okay what I'm doing because I'm a believer and God understands. And I continue in lawlessness. Are you still working in lawlessness? Say, Well, what is that? In Galatians chapter 5 it says this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife jealousy, fits of rage, listen, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This isn't a complete list. He puts things on here that we would look and say, oh, orgies, well, I'm not, I don't, I don't do, but what about envy? Envy. Puts things on here like drunkenness and we go, oh, I don't do that anymore. Well, okay, what about rivalries? What about fits of anger? He says things like this. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I can say I'm born again. I can say I believe I can, I can put all that stuff on my side. Oh, I believe in the Lord, and I, I cast out demons, and I, you know, I prophesy, and I do all kinds of great stuff. But am I still working lawlessness? Let's look at how we can know that we are born again. This is another part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the very beginning, the Beatitudes. And this is the portion I really want you to see and capture with me today. He says, and Jesus, this was Jesus, he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness and they will be satisfied and we could go on when a person is born again he doesn't simply say okay uh, Jesus is the son of God I get it I understand who he was Uh, I believe that he was the son of God I believe that I should go to church and do some stuff. Uh, You know, that's the end of it. No, when the Spirit of God, when we're born again, the Spirit of God reveals us to us. Seeing Jesus as the Son of God is a self image shattering event. In that moment, I stop comparing myself to everybody else and I see myself standing before a holy, perfect Jesus and I realize I am completely, absolutely, totally destitute of all personal, moral ability and strength. Jesus says that this way. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't walk away from that moment feeling good about yourself. You walk away from that born-again experience feeling thankful to Jesus for his grace that he gives to you even though you don't deserve it. Now, friend, I'm not telling you that, you, that, that hey, you, know, you are the single-soul terrible person. No, we're all in that boat. That's all of us. We stand before Jesus, we go, we don't measure up. Where before, I thought, I, you know, i get got a few quirks, I, but I'm not too bad. I'm certainly better than that guy. All of a sudden, we realize, I don't measure up to that guy. When before I argued, I'm okay, I believe in God, and I go to church. I stop arguing that I'm okay. And I realize that I'm lost. The real born-again experience begins, begins with the awareness of what theologians call total depravity. That we are totally, completely lost. What it means is this. I got nothing to offer Jesus. I got nothing to come up to him and say, hey, I should, you know, we're buddies because I did this. We're okay because I live this way. No, we got got nothing to offer. He is the Lord. I am totally, totally unworthy of him. And no matter how much I do, I can't dig myself out of that set of circumstances. I need help. This is the startling revelation that comes into our spirit by the Spirit of God that makes new birth in Christ possible. It's at that moment when I realize I have no moral compass, none whatsoever, I am broken to the core that I can cry out for help. But as long as I hold on to some self-acceptance, it leads me to this wrong thought that, hey, if I just tweak a few things, go to church a little bit more, kind of clean up a couple of actions, God will accept the rest of my stuff. And things like this come out of our mouth. I know I hate that guy. I know the Bible says I shouldn't hate that guy. But God understands what he did to me. So I hate that guy. And that's okay. I, I know I know I shouldn't, you know, have fits of rage, and I know that shouldn't happen, but God knows how I was raised, He knows my heritage, He knows my background, and He knows what I come from, and so occasionally I just lose it. God He understands that. He's okay with that. He's okay uh, with with my lust. I mean, that girl shouldn't dress that way after all. He's okay with my lustful feelings. It's not that bad. I, I mean, after all, I don't act on it. I don't do anything about it. So God's okay with that. He's okay with my sexual sin. I mean, after all, God made me this way. He doesn't want me to lay anything at His altar and be healed. He just accepts me the way that I am. See, as long as we don't understand this point that we are, as the theologians say, totally depraved, completely lost, without a moral compass, we, can't, we don't come to Him looking for a new moral compass, looking for a transformation that changes our spirit and moves us into being something new, and we excuse away those things that are really still works of lawlessness, we excuse them away and we go on with our life. To be born again, I have to see the poverty of my spirit. This is one of the things, this is the first thing that happens in this born-again experience is through the preaching of the Word or somebody sharing faith with me. And I realize who Jesus is, that the Spirit of God reveals to me how hopeless I am without the total hopelessness of my cause. And I come to an altar to ask Christ into my life knowing that I need to be reborn by the work of Jesus on the cross. Have you had that revelation? Have you strayed from that revelation as you've grown in years of following after Christ? This will leave us broken and devastated before God. And here's the natural response. The natural response is Is mourning. This is a key illustration for you to really examine, for us to really examine our life by and to see have I really been born again? Because see, when we're born again, there's no sense of pride in our past sin, there's no sense of joy in our past sin, there's no sense of There's no desire to brag about our past. Yeah, when I was, before I was saved, I was a real ladies' man. Now, that's not how you feel. When you begin to mourn, you begin to think about the people you hurt in your past. You begin to think about the people you wounded in your past. You begin to think about the places where you fell short of God's glory in your past. And even in your heart, you don't think of that proudly. You don't say, I, I used to be a, you know, a real drinker. I, was, I, I, I partied hard. No, you look at that and you go, man, if I would have been different back then, I could have helped some of my friends. If I'd have been different back then, I wouldn't have hurt some of the people I hurt. If I'd have only known back then what I was, I was in darkness And the feeling that the mourner gets is the feeling not of pride in his sin, but of sorrow in his sin. My wife and I talk about this all the time. I never understand a person who looks at me and says, I have no regrets in life. I've got so many of them, I can't count them all. Jesus has this book of things, John says, that we... You know, that if we wrote everything that he did, you couldn't write it all down, it would fill libraries up. I feel that way about the things in my life where I've blown it. Not proud of those things. Mourn those things. Wish I'd have been a better witness. Sorrowful over people I hurt. Things that I didn't said. Because when we come into the brightness of who Christ is and the poverty of our spirit, and he begins to show us the way that we should live, it's not pride in our past that we begin to mourn those things and wish we'd lived a different life. He mourns his past. He doesn't brag on it. If you find some pride in those past sin or even your present sinful attitudes, excusing them away, I want to challenge you to ask yourself today are you really born again? Have you really had this experience with Christ where your spirit has been transformed? If you hold on to something the Bible calls sin, this is a clear sign that we've missed truly being born again. We understand who Jesus is. We understand that he's the son of God. You may even say it and teach a Sunday school class, but has your spirit really been transformed? And when it is, one of the things, I'm telling you, here's one of the things that you're going to reckon. You're going to begin to mourn, be embarrassed and sorrowful. You know, I, I always worry about the person who gives their testimony of their past sin, almost bragging Look, you know, and then, then they kind of wrap it up. Well, look what Jesus saved me from. Instead of, wow, I, I was in the cesspool of this life. I, I'm embarrassed, sorrowful to even have to tell you about it. But in case some of you are in that cesspool too, I want you to know there is a rescuer. There is one who reaches down into those cesspools and pulls us out, puts us on a solid rock, cleans us up, makes us whole, gives us a new start, puts a new heart in us, and we can be something we never could have been on our own because of Him. Which leads us to this third transition where it says, blessed are the meek. What are the meek? These aren't people who just walk around, you know, Scared of everything that happens. This is spiritual meekness or humility. Not by the world's definition. Spiritual meekness is, aware, is an awareness, listen, of my total dependence upon God. I need him for everything. I need him to be a good dad. I need him to be a good man. I need him to tell me how to act in every situation. I need him when I'm tired. I need him when things are going my way. I need him when things aren't going my way. I need him totally. This makes us a people who recognize our total, the, the, the total dependence of God, total in all areas of life. I need him to know how to act. I need him for salvation. I need him for sustenance. I need him for holiness. One of the key things that happens is that I become merciful and patient with others because I become aware of how much mercy and patience I need. That's why judgment, harshness, punishment of others' failures begins to fall off of us. And we want to be hands up, not hands pushing down. Recognition of our need for God and humility before God that makes me obedient is the key of the spiritual awareness of the, born of, of the born again. I need God for everything. I need Jesus for everything. Which leads us to our fourth standard. A born again spirit hungers and thirsts to do the right thing. Hungers and thirsts for it. I, I can, you know, I like that because I can relate to that. I can relate to hunger can't you? I can relate to thirst and what it doesn't. And Jesus, he says, let, me, let me tell you, this is what it's like. This, when you're really in the right place, this is what's going to happen in your life. You're going to hunger and thirst to do the right thing. The, doing the right thing doesn't make you saved. No, you start doing the right thing because you are born again because you recognize your poverty, of spirit, because you mourn over being that broken person, because you recognize your dependence upon God, and because you recognize that, you start desiring to know more to do the right thing. This person's attachments to the places of this world grows weaker to fit in with this world, to be cool in the eyes of this world, to be a part of this world, that attachment grows weaker. And their desire to do what is right before God grows more powerful in them each day. This, this, This is what drives the person to know the Word of God. Like we talked last week, to start reading the Word of God. They're not reading it just to gain knowledge. They're reading it to become righteous, to know what to do in different sets of circumstances, to help cleanse. The, wa- the Word washes us like water, cleanses us from the old stuff that held on to us. It's why we want to be in small groups, why we want to be a, a part of Bible studies, why we want to be in services like this, so that we can learn the right path. May the Spirit of God speak to each of us about this in our lives. Where are we hungry for Him? When I was a young Christian, I still had desire to fit in and be considered cool by my friends who didn't know Jesus, and it affected my life in negative ways. That had to die. That had to get washed away. That had to be cleansed. When I was a young Christian, I still saw people who eyes. That had to be washed away. That had to be cleansed. God had to de- I had to let God deal with that. When I was a young Christian, I didn't, o- I didn't always hunger and thirst to do the right thing. There were still a lot of things in there that I, they, they weren't quite right. But because I knew who I was in Christ and because of what Christ was doing to me, those things, the Spirit of God challenged them more and more. For each of us, the sin package works differently in our desires. For some people, there may be a high proclivity to sexual sin. For somebody else, sexual sin may not be the thing, but power and money may be the thing. For somebody else, it just may be that they're a little bit mean, nasty, malvy, unkind. They have to come to these scriptures where it tells us about the kindness that should live in our heart and the love for others that live in our heart and that old man has to be washed away. But see, as God moved and his spirit grew in my life, instead of wanting to hold on to those things, I became more and more embarrassed by those things. Sorrowful for those things. Sad that I ever felt that way. Wishing I could go back and change it. Because my actions and my desires were being cleansed by the Word of God because I was hungry for Him. See, if Jesus is just fitting into your life, if He's just another part of who you are and what you do, and you go about living life every, uh, in all the old lawless ways that you used to live, in. but you come into the church and, 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 and you think, well, you know, you need to understand that, you know, this is who I am. Here's what you need to understand. You are most likely not born again. You're most likely not there. If you're a brand new Christian, just begin, and God's begin to, in moments like this, challenge your life. You begin to hear, "I need to lay some things down." Great, but if you're just, if you've just been living in lawlessness for year after year, saying you're a believer, what you're probably saying is, "Yeah, I know who Jesus is. I just haven't surrendered to Him. I, I just haven't asked Him to come in my life. I just haven't allowed Him to change me. I'm continuing in lawlessness." If you have become poor and embarrassed and meek and hungry and thirsty, let me tell you, there's your sign that God's done a work in you. There's the picture that you can look at and say, I got it. God's doing this work in me. Now listen, if you're sitting here today and say, wow, pastor, I I thought I was born again, but whoa. That's a good thing. Because God's stirring in you. If you're honest with yourself and you say, I know I need to change some of these things, but wow, I don't know that I can. You're probably right. In fact, I'd say you're definitely right. You can't change them. But you can come to the altar. You can begin in the battle. You can begin to invite Jesus into, 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 into the situation. You can confess your sin to him. You can say, you know what, sometimes when I'm dealing with certain people, I just get mean and nasty. And it's just, a, you know, how I learned to deal with my family. And I need to back this up and get changed. Pastor, when nobody else around my mind, my heart is full of lust. I don't know if I can get myself free from this. But you can begin to pray. You can come to you and say, I know your Lord, and you see my brokenness, and I recognize I fall short of your glory. I want heaven to be my home. I don't want to, I don't want to be this guy anymore. Begin to help me, Lord. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes in an instant, Sometimes through a struggle of submitting to God again and again and crying out to him and asking for help, God will set you free because he loves you. Listen, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's us. He came looking for you, to help you, to change you, for you to be born again. But this born again thing isn't just I sign up on the card. I get recognized by somebody. I come to the altar. No, it's a spiritual experience of recognizing who Jesus is by the power of the Spirit of God revealing that to me and me crying out to Him. That's how we know we're born again. Let's stand together today. Prayer teams, would you come on down front? Father, I stand with this congregation. You know how much I love them? <clears throat> father, you know how much I prayed about this message, and father the call today for us to examine our lives closely, to be certain that we're not workers of lawlessness. Father, I know that today we, we should leave this place with a certain amount of sorrow about who we are and who we have been but, Father, not carrying the sorrow, but rejoicing in who Jesus is, rejoicing in what he has done for us, thankful for the transformation that he brings. And so, Lord, I pray that there's any here that's still in that place of lawlessness, that, Lord, they would be challenged today. Here's my first appeal to you today. Have you ever surrendered your life to the fact, before God called out to him, and surrendered your life to the fact that Jesus is your Lord? Friend, whether you accept that or not, it's true. Have you done that? That's, That's a step. I recognize you're my Lord. And have you ever asked him, to be your Savior. Jesus, I recognize you're Lord. You're the creator of all the universe. You created me. And I need you. I want you. I recognize I am fallen. I fall short of your glory. I need you to be my Savior. Say, Pastor, I need to do that today. I need to ask him, I need to accept him as the Lord of my life. I need to ask him to be the Savior of my souls. Every head's bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. We just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me today. I need to make sure I'm right with God. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else today? Anyone else? Looking across this place, I see that hand. God bless you. He loves you. Anyone else today? He'll just say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Amen. Amen. Before we make any other appeal today, we're just going to pray this prayer together. Everyone pray with me. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I confess that you are the Lord of my life. I ask you to be the Savior of my soul, and I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me in Jesus name Amen we're going to sing a song and I just want to invite you to sing the song as a prayer and invite the spirit of God to speak to you now while we're doing this if you were one of the folks who just raised your hand I'm asking you to take a next step for your eternity's sake I'm asking you to step out if you didn't raise your hand you needed to just step out and come down here and let one of these teams pray with you for a moment. This is an important step for you. This is putting your flesh in submission to your spirit. I'm going to ask you, just three, four, five of you that raise your hand, step on out and come on down. And then we're going to make another appeal and some other people will come down as well. If you say, hey, I'm a little bashful, ask the person next to you to go with you. They'll be happy to. They'll be thrilled to. But don't hesitate. Wherever you're at right now, step out and come in Jesus' name. Will you come? Amen. Praise God. Praise God.